Welcome to Shrink for the Shy Guy. This is the show for you if you are sick and tired of being held back by fear, self-doubt, social anxiety, shyness, anything that's stopping you from you being you. I'm going to share the most powerful tools and resources that I've been discovering over the last 15 years on my journey to eradicate social anxiety and instill confidence, first in myself and then in every single person that I meet on my journey. You're going to learn these tools and how to apply them in your life now so that you can become the most free, powerful, bold, authentic version of you. Hey, welcome to today's episode of the show. Today, we're going to be looking at how we see ourselves and the way that we see ourselves can be either very expansive and liberating or very confining. And there's so many ways that our identity shows up in our lives and it determines whether we think we can do something or think that we can't, whether we approach someone or don't. Even uh, the level of worthiness we feel can be related to our identity. And this is something that it's a fantastic conversation that I go deep into with a licensed psychotherapist and a dear friend of mine, someone that I spent many years with when I was younger and we recently reconnected and I wanted to introduce you to him and just get a window. Him and I would have these long extended conversations throughout the night. This one is relatively tame uh, because our conversations would start with psychology and identity and you know, who are we really and how do we grow? And then they'd venture into the more strange realms of psychedelics and metaphysical and even aliens and all that kind of stuff. So we didn't get into the crazy stuff in this episode, but I want to have him back on and him and I will go go full on alien with you. But for now, let me bring in my guest. His name is Dmitry Volfovich. He's a licensed psychotherapist in San Jose, California, and his specialty is in treating trauma and other mental health issues using a holistic body-oriented approach, which we'll hear more about. It's pretty fascinating. He also specializes in mindfulness and transpersonal psychology, which involves shamanic and Eastern practices that lead to health and well-being. He's also a clinical supervisor and a master teacher trainer at the Process Therapy Institute, which helps people learn gestalt and somatic approaches to therapy using a one-way mirror, so he helps train and teach other facilitators. So a wealth of experience working with clients directly, training other people, and just a ton of his own personal growth work and research. Thank you so much for joining us today for the show, Dimitri. Thank you so much for having me, Aziz. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, there's so much uh, that we can get into and in all different directions we're going to head. So uh, I will let it flow and we'll see what's going to be the the takeaways. Because for anyone listening, as I was mentioning in the introduction, uh, Dimitri and I have a, a long history in which we know each other in a past life. And I remember our conversations would go for hours and cover all kinds of things ranging from psychology and our own growth work to um, metaphysics and spirituality to, to anything and everything between. So um, I'm sure we'll go on a little bit of a ride here. But let's start with uh, some more uh, grounded basic stuff, which is, you know, you're you're in there working with clients regularly and helping them with uh, trauma, anxiety, all the different things that arise. And you use a, a body-oriented approach so maybe just give us a sense of what are you helping people with and, and what are some of the basic ways that you're approaching that and helping them? Hmm. Yeah, so um, my primary sort of catch-all phrase is I practice holistically. Um, but, you know, something that I kind of like to remind people 
because you know when I do workshops and and presentations, I think sometimes uh, the term holistic, even that has become sort of a cliche, um, because people like, you know, they'll think holistic and they'll think like Instagram and they'll think like a crystal and like a singing bowl and like that's, or some like um, you know incense or something, but. Um, the real, the term holistic comes from like sort of, uh, from the word whole and, and it, it's, I think from what I understand it, Fritz Perls is the one that came up with it. And it's this idea that there's um, a whole of all the parts. And so there's within each of us, there's a, sort of a community of, of aspects and, um, it, it's sort of like the gut. It's almost like a biome, but it's, uh, it with the psyche. And so within each of us, there's a community of parts and, um, you know, on a good day, we, we mobilize our parts and, uh, you know, we uh, focus all our attention and we act in a way that is whole and, and kind of integrated. And on a bad day or in a bad life, sometimes we become at odds with ourselves and, and have, uh, we feel disintegrated and um, against, uh, you know, ourselves. And so... Uh, that's kind of the basic premise of the holistic model, and um, the holistic model uh, goes kind of in more depth with uh, somatic psychology, where um, not only is you have this, the, the the psyche, you know, the different the inner child, the, the the wounded part, the happy part, the sad part, but there's also uh, from the somatic perspective, there's also um, you know the body that comes into it, and so the body is um from a holistic perspective really kind of like a guidance system that's how i see it is like basically like if you uh, if you tub your, if you stub your toe like if you're walking and you hit your toe against the bed or something like that like you're going to have pain there and that pain is is uh, inviting you to pay attention to your toe and, and maybe you know put ice on it or whatever or, or put a band-aid on it and so if you didn't have those those nerves in your in your foot, you would just be like a, a dead weight body that didn't you know never knew what it was and it was hurting, and 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 we know that that's a pretty obvious thing, obviously. But um, but that also extends to you know emotional pain too, and um, you know uh, difficulty feeling sadness, grief, um, heaviness, you know all these things, anxiety. And but that that same principle applies. So that if you know, the idea is that um, w when there is a symptom, like you're feeling uh, lack of confidence or, or you're feeling uh, anxious or, or heavy, that those are also um, j just the way in which your body is communicating to you and and to letting you know that there's something to, to listen to, that there's something that is um, hurting and. Um, and so that if you can, if you, if you, if you hold it and attend to it, that it may give you some information that would be useful. And so it, it's sometimes at odds with the medical model because the medical model tries to reduce symptoms and says, go to war and fight this cold and fight cancer and fight this and get, you know, get rid of things. The holistic model says, um, the, these are actually, um, ways in which the body is communicating. And it, if you listen and if you allow it, it, it can give you more of a, guidance system to in a way you can get find more ease and well-being mm. mm -hmm. i love this and as in if we really tune into say a, a sensation of heaviness or sadness or fear in our bodies and, and become very present with that then we'll get more information about 
the parts that are communicating or active within us. Right, right, right. And so that, um, exactly. So like, so that you can start to relate to that part of you. So if there's a sad part, um, going back to the whole community within you. So like, if there's a sad part and then you, you know, immediately you feel sad and all of a sudden you say, Oh, I hate that sad part. And so then all of a sudden you have discord. So you now, now you're lamenting a certain part of yourself, but in this holistic way, you're saying, Oh, wow, there's a sad part. Let me like, let me attend to it. Let me have compassion for it. And then inadvertently you're having compassion for yourself and learning to, to, um, to have more peace within yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, So that's a, that's a great kind of next thing to explore is, so if we're becoming more aware of these parts and let's say, you know, we tune in and we find, okay, there's part of me is sad about this. And as you said, there can be the sense of, um, well, in, in a, it gets really bad. There's a disintegration, but you know, maybe before then, there's at the very least conflicting desires or opinions right. from these parts. And so, one part's like, I want to stay in and be cozy and safe, and another part's like, I I get bored and I want to quest out there in the world and see what's going to happen. And so, there we are, you know, tuning in, and we feel these different parts in conflict. Uh, what ways do you help people get to more? resolution or peace is it just hearing them hearing them out or do we need to act on the different parts yeah that's a great question um so for, for this i i really am a strong uh, proponent of uh, sort of the eastern traditions of mindfulness i think that um the the whole idea with mindfulness is that we start to um, understand that there is a lot more accuracy with sensation than, than there is with the intellectual faculties because um, the, the intellect and, and our thinking is very useful, but it also is very um, often subject to bias and um, inferences mm-hmm. from you know, family of origins issues, and, or not issues, but just family of origins and like, things that you've picked up on and so we, we kind of, our, our thinking mind is very kind of inundated with a lot of histor- historical um, programming. And so oftentimes that is not enough to rely on. And so in a lot, in a lot of ways, the mindfulness sort of like the, you know, Vipassana, the, like this body scanning mm-hmm. approach is um, if you sit with a, a feeling without jumping to a conclusion and trying to intellectually um, understand it so quickly, um, oftentimes when you sit with like, for instance, okay, just the example that you brought up, uh, let's say there's a part of you that wants to, to, maybe there's a need to feel for safety and there's a need for, to stay in and feel cozy. And then there's another part that's sort of like, you know, challenging and wants to say, I want some excitement. I want some so- social, uh, interaction. And the last time I did this, I felt bored. So there's a certain two types of kind of like directions. Well, in this case, I would suggest taking a moment to sit with each of them, but not intellectualize them. Like consider sometimes within therapy, I give people like an object, like I'll give them like one, one rock or crystal and then I'll, I'll have them hold that and really like try It's like almost try, like trying on a hat mm. and just seeing how it feels like, Oh, how is this? But not intellectually, like mm, seeing how it feels in the body. And it, you have to be, take your time because you need to like, let the mud settle a bit. It's like shaking a bottle of muddy water and just putting it down and just giving it time to 
for it to settle and then it becomes half you know then the mud goes on the bottom and then the water becomes more clear and sometimes when we sit with things uh, non-intellectually but more of an, a visceral um examine ourselves experientially like when we just just feel it um there will be kind of nuanced um sensations that will be become like uh guiding principles they'll be like oh yeah and it it's it will be very moment to moment because i think if you sit with one thing one day it may give you a different different outcome than sitting with it another day but on a given Mm -hmm. day you may feel like you resonate in your body more with maybe staying in and you you have this certain sense like yeah this feels right, mm. and and that that rightness or that that feeling of um, I don't know wisdom um, can only come from like a, I would say like a gut feeling or as an intuitive sense. Otherwise, you're just kind of logically intellectualizing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I love that. And I think what's uh, what's standing out to me what you're saying here is that there is a need to not only not intellectualize and jump to conclusion, but even to maybe put that aside to really tune in. And I know for me, having spent so many years, just very head-based, that oftentimes when I slow down and tune in, I will hear, I'll get valuable information and get signals, and then my mind will come back in and want to judge those and challenge them. Because often that what emerges moment to moment is much more in the flow of life and much more vulnerable, um, engaged, risk-taking, alive. And I think for me, a lot of my head activity is all about minimizing that stuff, minimizing the risk, minimizing the connection and, you know, keeping everything controlled and contained. So I think there's like two things I'm hearing there. One is to really create the space. And then maybe also another thing is to, uh, to really listen to that information that's coming to you because it's really valuable. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one, another thing that's helpful is when I tell my clients is that when they say, uh, when they give me something like, Oh, I feel anxious about going out or I feel like this, or I feel that I always, I ask them, I say, well, where do you feel that in your body? Cause like there's the, there's the thought, but then there's the physiological component of that thought. And so it's always good to reference, like, okay, like, I feel nervous. Well, where do you feel that nervousness in your body? Uh, in my chest. So if you can learn to actually find where that, like, somatic um, translation of, like, that thought or that, that emotion, and you can anchor into it. And so, like, if you're feeling um, uninspired or, or nervous or whatever it is that that's, that's making you feel kind of uneasy or confused, I invite people to locate where that is sits in the body because it always does. Like people say, like when somebody comes in and they say, oh, I feel anxious. And I'm like, well, how do you know you're anxious? And they're like, I don't know. But if I say, well, let's find out. It's usually somewhere. So if you and a good way to do that is to anchor into where that sits in the body. And then that, that gives you a place to actually track because otherwise you're just like mindfully sitting. And you don't know. You're just kind of like you know, trying to be mindful, but really you're having all these thoughts coming up. But it's good to um, anchor into where that sits in the body. And sometimes it's in the gut, sometimes it's like a tension in the neck, but it's good to figure out where that is manifesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and why is that? What does that help us do? So, okay, I, you know, I, someone's listening is like, okay, I can identify that the tension or the anxiety is in my chest, for example. 
right. then then what uh, what does that help them do or provide them with? It 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 allows for an anchor to to that which you can sit with because if you because you know to just to tell somebody oh well, yeah just sit with it you know like it doesn't it provides a, a source that from that which you can sit and attend to otherwise you're you're you don't have a, a sort of a, a resting place and like yeah uh, yeah otherwise it's just resting in the thoughts which are right all right. over the place yeah so and often just, oh go, yeah, ahead. go ahead i was gonna say the thoughts are often like not only not an arresting place but they're they're usually just like a lot of commentary on the feeling and well, the, well maybe the situation but then also just the feeling itself and i don't like this how long is this going to last i if only i'd done this or that i wouldn't be feeling this and there's nothing uh nothing to rest in there just a whole right. lot of noise exactly it's like a re-rendering and and uh, the other thing that i teach with um this stuff is that there's like there's like a looping cycle and um between the thoughts and the sensations and and you can think about it this way it's like the thoughts are the fire uh no sorry the thoughts are the logs and the sensation is the fire and so um the, the sensations only persist when you throw in the thoughts so like for instance um like for instance sadness you really can't stay sad for very long unless you have a reinforcing thought to back that that up like oh i you know i'm i'm lonely and sad because my girlfriend left me like you have that thought and then it comes with the feeling of sadness and then you feel that sadness most people feel that sadness just for a very short you know split second or a couple a couple seconds and then they go back and they re uh, re-render a different thought or a similar thought that reinforces it and and that's why people when when I ask when I say you know allowance of your feelings is really important and they say well last time I felt my sadness I was up all night crying but really they weren't really feeling their sadness they were like creating a story feeling their sadness for a split second and then creating another story and then going back like over and over like that again so the the idea is that if you actually feel your sadness stripped down of any story it doesn't really even persist for very it can't it like it just the fire goes out because there's mm. no more logs. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what the anchoring helps with is that when you can out, when you can find where the sadness is or where the confusion is or where the grief is or where the, whatever it is that you're feeling, once you can locate where that feels like in your body, that anchor point helps, like, like you said, like the resting point, it helps you f- connect to it so that you're not uh, split with uh, re-rendering of, of the thought. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And so what, as, you're, as you're describing, I'm just doing it right now. And I noticed that the tension inside I can feel is related. So there's, this is something I've been exploring for just the last maybe couple of weeks. I made a decision this year to travel more than I have. I've been pretty limited in where I would go for maybe the last, I'd say four, I mean, since our kids are born, so they're four and six now. I, I traveled some the first year of my son's life, but really have been minimizing it. And maybe the last three years or so have done, said no to most things and not sought out opportunities to travel for, for work. And I made a decision um, with my wife, Candace, like, okay, this year I'm going to experiment with that more and and go for it. And I noticed that in a couple of months I have, um, or no, no, in, in over the next month or so, I'm going to be traveling a lot more than I, than I have. And... I'm amazed at all the different feelings that kicks up, all the different parts 
that that arise and how oftentimes the tension I'm feeling is not necessarily that those, those parts are in conflict. It's this uh, not wanting to hear all the different parts. <laughs> it's kind of like they're clamoring for attention. It's like, yeah, I don't have time for that. Just go go be in the room together. I'll get to you guys mm-hmm. later. And then then there's like this pressure that builds up. And then when I just sit down and I do it, um, I, I love doing what you're describing. And I'll often integrate some journaling in. So I'll, I'll talk a little bit to a part and then I'll just close my eyes and really feel. And when I do that, I can... I can hear there's these there's these different parts, and um, what I found though is that sometimes the parts seem irreconcilable. Like they they want two different things, and then the best thing that I can do is just hear each one and be curious about it and empathize with it. And sometimes I wonder uh, when I'm doing this, like, well, the part that's doing that. What is that? And I know in in uh, IFS in internal family systems therapy they they call that your center. And I'm just curious about your thoughts. Well, about anything I'm saying, but also about that. Like, what's the part that's observing and interacting with these parts? Yeah, that's a really excellent and beautiful question and and topic. I think um, they they call it different things in different traditions and stuff. I know Ramdas calls it the, the loving awareness. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I like Muji. He talks about, he says that, uh, he says that I, you know, I in quotes, um, I is synonymous with consciousness and he says, I is the godly principle. So it is some kind of, yes, identified, perce- um, aperture of perception. And, and I don't think, I, I think it's like kind of a more of a mystical and philosophical thing about what it is, but it's, it's either God or, or, or your awareness, but. Um, I, I think that that consciousness itself is a natural curative. I think I think just the the sort of fascinated, unconditional, positive regard, pa- positive fa- fascination. In, at, at Process Therapy Institute, we have this acronym called HUFF, H-U-F-F, and it stands for Hold Unconditional Fascination Forever. And mm. it's really this, it's like a state of being where... You're, you're holding unconditional fascination forever towards all your parts, no matter what. And, and I think that that, that that fascination and that unconditional positive regard is a curative, even to the confused voices that are not getting along. <laughs> it, it, just, it's a, it just makes it them that much more. It dismantles them because you're like, hey, I hear you. I'm here. Like, I'm not running away. I'm not shutting you down. And, and and maybe you're right. I think sometimes some voices are not reconcilable. Um, but but I think that your relationship to them, you have that responsibility to be loving, and and to to not um, uh, run away. Because I think that when you when when we uh, kind of uh, resist uh, those uh, those negative thoughts or, or feelings that come. What we do is I think we create um, a, a backlash because I think that's why people have um, nightmares and stuff. You know, they say that, like, um, if, if you don't listen to your uh, soul's whisper, uh, be prepared to hear it scream. Mm. It's like mm-hmm. this idea that, like, if you, if you don't listen and just attend to all these, this sort of uncomfortable dark stuff, then it's just going to erupt and it's going to be like a, um, 
a different symptom that's going to erupt and, and it's going to make it's almost like your, your psyche is going to make sure you you get the message <laughs> just mm-hmm. in a much more harsh way um so so yeah i think it is just about like turning towards it and attending to it and loving it mm. mm-hmm. and i know this is something that you know you, it sounds like you are guiding clients through and i know you've done more work with uh, groups as well groups of men and, and maybe other groups too and in that space is there are you doing this kind of thing with them in the group or is it more one-on-one that you're doing helping people with this mm. yeah i um i have come up with various creative enactments and, and sort of activities with groups um one of the ways that i've been able to do this is to do in partners um when i've had a group like if i have a group together um if if i split them up into partners and then they take turns um being what what we call professional allowers and um basically the one partner is is prompting the other partner to um attend and allow whatever they're experiencing and so they're prompting them to, they'll, they'll be saying, so one partner is, is telling the other person things like, um, allow that to be there, um, notice what it's like to, to feel that, uh, can you be with that for a moment? And, and very generic, but kind of allowing statements mm. um, and sort of subtly body-oriented um, kind of, well, the prompts are like, okay, notice where that, you feel that in your body, allow that to be there. So slightly body oriented, but more or less just allowing statements. Um, and, and the other person is just uh, sitting there and um, just sharing um, what's happening as they kind of uh, deepen and, and allow the, whatever. Usually like when you, in a group, there's, you know, people come in for workshops, they're kind of ready to go. So they have stuff that they're dealing with. Um, but when I've done that, it's, it's amazing to watch because the, one of the, the persons who's being, the, the other partner who's being allowed, they're usually crying and going through like some kind of sadness or anxiety. And it's so you could do this in partners. Um, but it, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it is definitely much more of a different thing when you have a whole group. Um, it, it, the, the, when there's a sharing dynamic, um, it's a little bit different than, um, than in, in partners. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 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 That's awesome. I love I love hearing about how you're working with people and and just the the different approaches. And you know, one thing I was curious about you said earlier uh, when we were talking about what is that observing part, and you said that's you know that's into the realm of uh, spiritual and philosophical. And I know that's something that you have just done a lot of. And even when someone does a lot of meditation, it it kind of you know tends to steer people towards that. And I know from our uh, conversations long ago that was something that you've studied a lot and been really fascinated in is you know, spirituality and metaphysics and um, even transpersonal psychology is really looking at above the individual and I'm just curious how does that integrate into your work with people how you see holistic therapy or just how we can be our more just most healthy free alive selves yeah um, I am that's a great question. I am, I am indeed very fascinated with this stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I, I think that the, the primary thing that I've been really interested in recently is really inviting people to own their own divinity um, 
I think that fundamentally each one of us is um, their own, um, you know, master and guru. I think uh, quoting again Ram Das, one of his one of my favorite quotes of his is he says that everything is a guru if you know how to listen. Um, and he said, not everyone, but everything is a guru, if you know how to listen. Um, so for me, it's like this sort of uh, this way of looking at, at life that, um, you know, you you are your own source. And of course, other, you know, teachers and people can come along and kind of give you little tips and things along the way and different wisdoms and things like that. But um I've been I've been really uh, I've been a, very uh, interested in and you know shamanism and, and all these things spirituality and Buddhism for many years now and uh, for me it's I've come to that conclusion that basically like any any concept um, or um, idea is is always going to be limiting because um, it, it's concepts by by default are boxes so like if you if you believe in a certain person a uh, uh, certain uh, idea like you know jesus christ or the buddha or um, even a word like unity is still just a, a very colloquial or you know sociological term that we identify with and um I think the true mysticism is really uh, renouncing or letting go of concept, and and because it's when you once once you label something, it becomes like defined by that, and it becomes nothing else. So if you say, okay, like that's that's a a box, then it's not you know anything else but a box. And so what I try to do with people is I don't try to give them. Um, you know, a specific prescription of how to practice spirituality. But I, what I try to do is I try to open up the potential for them to connect with their own true self and, and whatever infinite um, dimensions that they experience within themselves. I practice, uh, well, I'm not certified in Hakomi, but I've, I've taken a lot of courses in Hakomi and I like that the, the term Hakomi, and uh, it's actually, it's a Hopi word, Hopi people, the Native Americans. Um, it, it actually means, Hakomi means who are you in these many realms? Um, and, and then that's kind of like where, where I stand with spirituality. It's like we're, we're also like so multidimensional. Um, and so what I try to do is I just invite people to connect with all the, all the different dimensions that, that are within them mm. um, and you know it's interesting of course i i uh, i'm i'm a strong believer in, in in psychedelics and and you know the whole uh kind of movement towards in, incorporating the sh- shamanic uh, medicines and you know what's interesting i recently posted um on facebook it was it was a great hoot but i was listening to terence mckenna and he was saying that um the, the first drug bust that was recorded in history was with Adam and Eve. And that when um, Adam and Eve wanted to eat from uh, the tree of knowledge. Um, and so that was, that was that was the first time that some authority figure uh, came and said that you're not, you can't eat this plant, this particular plant you can't eat. 
and and it's it's happened to be called the tree of knowledge and and it's almost like some authority was saying well you know you uh we're, you're not privy to this knowledge and if you so they he must have thought that if you, they ate that if they ate from the tree of knowledge they, they would become gods like like him so and I, I feel like that's it's a funky metaphor but i i think that's really where what i believe in is that that we're all like gods um not superior to any to each other but we all have the p- potential for um this cosmic experience mm. Hmm. i love that you know and yeah and i feel like there's uh and be, people have different words for it sometimes you know god or sometimes people call it higher self because maybe that has there there can be not necessarily the same connotation as with god but i feel like I'll get glimpses of that sometimes. Um, and you mentioned dreams earlier. <clears throat> and sometimes I'll have this uh, awareness that I guess is mine, but it's it kind of sees me like doing my day-to-day <laughs> drama, you know, like, is that going to go the way I want? Oh, I'm mad at this person now. And just, it, it's almost like a character in a movie. And then from this vantage point, just like that part is just kind of like, it's all good. I guess just like if you're watching a movie in the theater and you are getting really invested in the characters on the screen. And then at some point you're like, Oh, this is a movie. Like, I, okay, we can, we can take this all in. We can enjoy this experience. We can have this. And I do, I feel like there's something similar happening with our lives here where there's this drama of it. And, you know, and some of the most intense highs and lows and pain. And yet there's this global awareness experience of it being this this cosmic game or uh, journey or some whatever word you want to use. And I feel like tapping into that, uh, you know, sometimes that can seem so esoteric or kind of what does that have to do with anything? I got bills to pay. You know, I got my, my wife's mad at me, but I feel like. That that tapping into that perspective can be extremely useful with the bills or with your spouse because it can get us into a different physiological state, a different grounded place where we're not as terrified or reactive. And I think one thing that's so interesting about this is people, when they are approaching their end of life, you know, one common uh, lament or insight they have is, wow, I, I didn't need to be so scared by it all. I need to, need to stress so much. Um, and I feel like there's a way to tap into that now that we can use to face whatever we're challenges we're going through. Yeah, I, I absolutely, I agree with that. And, and I think it also has to do with like, our, um, our clinging for an identity, like, um, and it, and it does have very practical applications as you're saying to paying the bills and things like that. If you're, um, like like I was saying earlier, the whole box thing. Like if you if you're so hung up on concept and identity and seeing yourself as oh I came I went to school here and I did this and I had this job and I have this set of knowledge and and you see yourself from this like historicity like you you chain yourself to a certain uh, hat and 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 you kind of like um, are very stoic and like this is me and so. And that can actually like hold you back because it's like a preoccupation and you're, it's almost like you're holding tight to like maintain that, but you really don't need to. Um, and the, the idea is that you can actually allow more of a spontaneous existence that um, there's more to you and, there, there, and it keeps coming too. like every moment you're kind of like 
bursting with new spontaneous um, creativity and 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 uh, energy. And so that sort of allowance of your own of your own more novel experience to come forth, it can have an effect on your creativity in your workplace. You can make more money because you'll be having better ideas and you you can maybe do things that you never thought you would because you're not tied up on thinking that the only thing that you could be is an architect or maybe you, yeah. you, know, you want to be a painter. <laughs> and so you become more happier when you can let go of your identity of who you think you are. I love that. I love that. And it's something that I see a lot where the identity that we think we are is not it's I mean, sometimes go someone's going around saying identity statements in their head, like this is who I am, this is what I do. But it's much more of like a felt experience of restriction. It's like there's these invisible force field walls that we just kind of gently bump up against and turn without even knowing that we hit a wall. And it's that's the well, that's outside of the bounds of who I think I am unconsciously. And then there's something really interesting too. Uh, I work a lot with people you know, on confidence, but one of the key aspects of it is uh, what I call almost or on my own side. How do we really get on our own sides? And right. sometimes people think that means saying, I love myself and I'm okay. I'm a good person. And that, you know, there's an element of, of self-acceptance and self-love there. But what, what's really underneath that is discovery of this unfolding of you. And sometimes we can say, I love you, but you got to be this way and not this other way. You know, like, right. yeah, I, I love you as the architect, but don't even think about being a painter, but I love you. And now that's not real love. That's not really being on our own side because what, what if that energy to paint is coming through or whatever that thing is in our lives, the next thing. Right. And so I feel like one of the deepest acts of love we can have for ourselves is, is to be that, I love that huff, you know, that fascination forever with who am I now? What's next? And it gets really interesting when we let go of all concepts, even concepts that I think can be helpful. And I'm curious about your thoughts on this. Things like, and this one comes up a lot in my work with people, is this idea of introversion and extroversion. And people identify, you know, well, I'm an introvert, so um, this is what I'm going to like. I'm not going to like going out and meeting a lot of people and having a lot of interactions because I'm introverted. And, you know, it's interesting. There was a phase in my life where I didn't really buy into that very much. And then there was a later phase in my life, more recently, where I did. It's like, well, you know, if you're an introvert, you may, might need a, a, B, and C. And then just recently, most recently, I was looking at it. I was like, you know, I think I'm using that introversion as a cover to avoid certain levels of network building and relationship building that are at the next stage of me at this you know, to have the influence that I want to have and make the impact I want to have in the world, I need to develop my network even more. And I've been avoiding that by saying, oh, that's too many people to manage and my connections. I'm an introvert. And I just like shook my head in fascination. I was like, man, that identity thing seems can seem so uh, real. And people listening might even be fighting me on this. Like, no, no, are you saying introversion and extroversion aren't real? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I just know that if how much infinite potential and how many different ways can we go? Mm-hmm. And I'm curious your your thoughts on that. I totally agree. I've been thinking about that too recently. My wife is, loves to do all sorts of like Myers-Briggs and all these things. And um, I, first of all, I think if it, if it is real, it's a lot. It's much more layered and textured and, and spectrum oriented. It's not extroverted or introverted extroverted. It can't be. That's just too black and white. I think that there's 
Uh, first of all, there's a spectrum, meaning that there could be like um, shades of uh, introversion. That's the first thing. And the second thing is that it's also con context based, contextual. So meaning in which relationship, you know, it's kind of like when you're, you know, you're going to act differently when you have a baby in your hand versus when you're hanging, having a beer with your friend. Like mm. you're going to be different. You know, your, your introversion towards the baby is going to be different from your introversion towards your friend. So like it, it, I think it's much more complex than just having two terms <laughs> that define people. I mean, that's obvious. And, and, and I think the other thing is um, it all goes back to that mindfulness, uh, mindful curiosity and fascination of like, well, how do I feel right now without my re-rendered um, intellectual story? And how can I connect to it and, and notice what it is that I feel right now? Maybe in one moment I'm feeling introverted and maybe in the next moment I won't. So I think it's more like, yeah, trusting um, that, you know, my experience should guide, not my my identity. And I think that does hold people back. I think um, it, it's, uh, I don't know. I think it's just for some reason it's it's safe for people to um, buckle down and and have something to believe in. And I understand that. And, and, and that, that goes back to religion and organized you know, identity and uh, those things. But I, I think it can turn into, like you said, a form of laziness because you kind of hide behind that and you um, not willing to, to really to discover and go deeper into what you really are. Yeah. And what what unlocks this or, or reveals this to me, and I see this with clients, too, is I'm in that old identity until I discover there's something that I want in life or that I'm called to have or do or create or contribute. And then I have to grow to be able to do that. And then as I'm growing, I'm like, oh, I guess I'm not that old identity at all. You know, for example, to bring it back to the networking and the connection relationship building, it's like, I know, I noticed that back when, so I had a, I'm a, I'm an introvert. I don't really like people, uh, story. And then I realized this is when I was much younger. I was like, oh, I don't, I don't really date women. I don't really have any relationships because of that. And so I said, you know what? I real I want to change that. And so I started to actively practice social socializing. And this is one of the original uh, sources of my fascination with confidence. And along the way, though, I realized like, oh, I don't want to just be able to talk to one woman here and there. Like, I want to become a more social person. I want to talk to women. I want to talk to men. I want to talk to anyone and just be comfortable in my own skin. And before too long, I was able to, I was, I would be interacting, I'd be out somewhere and I would just go approach a group of people and start interacting with them, which in the past I would have perceived as a very extroverted behavior. And so it's like, well, if I want the thing, which is relationships with women or social connection, and now flash forward many years later, it's like, well, I want the thing. I want to be able to have a bigger impact in the world and reach more people with my work and uh, feel like a sense of community and contribution in the world well, then I'll reach out and connect to a bunch of people. And so all of a sudden, if you want it bad enough, your identity melts away. And I just think that's a, that's a fascinating thing to see. And it's like, oh, geez, well, where is my identity still seeming solid, but I haven't pushed the edge of it because there's nothing that I feel like I want on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's, yeah, it's about kind of growing beyond your identity, growing bigger than, than you are. And I think that's what the whole transpersonal thing is about, moving, moving beyond your, your identity and yourself. And something that you also said that I, I found it kind of fascinating, I resonated with it, um, 
it says something about oh, there was this acronym they used. What was it? OB something. On your own. Oh, oh on your uh, own side. almost on my own side. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I have something very similar, and I I I, I got it from um, uh, John O'Donohue, who was like a, he's a Celtic uh, mystic, um, and I, I'm actually formulating a workshop around it. And I haven't it's still in the uh, the working phase, and I'm gonna maybe do a couples workshop, but. Um, it's centered around this idea of, um, he talks about, um, he says that being and longing, when you combine those two, you get belonging. Um, and he says that the greatest belonging is self-belonging. And um, I think it's such a really beautiful way of looking at it that like, that before you can get, um, you belong to anybody else or anything else or any group or anything, you have to belong to yourself. And and it's like a real deep sense of like, like mm. being on your side, you know, being yeah. that you that you are the thing that which you can rely and rest on and belong to. You don't need to. There's no bracing. There's no like trying to hold anything up. It's like you already are there. And then once you can belong to yourself and and have that sense of like belonging, then you can go and connect with other people. But sometimes people kind of get the wagon in front of the horse. They want to go and be you know social and extroverted um and find belonging elsewhere outside but haven't really connected to a really a sense of of, of ground and, and stability within themselves yeah yeah and 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 really quite the opposite i mean i think for a lot of people there's uh, a lot of self-judgment and lack of self-acceptance and repressing of different parts and and, and, you know, maybe a limited identity and you combine all that and you get, uh, really the, you know, being against ourselves. And then what, what's challenging, I think when we're coming from that place is even if we do well, what's harder to muster the confidence and self-esteem to go out there and connect with people and create healthy relationships. Uh, but even if we do, uh, we can't really receive it. Uh, there's a lot of anxious attachment underneath there where it's like, ah, uh, you know, what, I'm not I don't know. I don't know if I'm worthy of this. I don't know. If, what if they stop liking me? And so I think there's such a, a powerful source, continual source of, of relief and ease if we can really make belonging to ourselves. I love that language, by the way, belonging to ourselves of, of a high of a high priority and, you know, and really putting that first from which to create those relationships that we want. Right, right. Yeah, and it really speaks to also worthiness too, like worthy of yourself. Um, and 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 John O'Donohue also talks about. Uh, he calls he he, um, he says that belonging is uh, synonymous with a, a gracious receptivity. So it's like when you can graciously receive um, gifts and 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 like when you meet somebody and you're like, oh, this is too good to be true you know like i can't this girl is too hot or or this this she's too perfect she's too special or this friend like or this you know so like now it's also something that i work with people a lot is um uh sort of working through the resistance to your own receptivity to your Mm -hmm. own worthiness and allowance that that you somehow you've you've kind of told yourself subconsciously that like i can't i don't deserve i i'm not worthy of happiness and 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 good relationships and and obviously it's from family of origin stuff but but it, there is something about that 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 sort of worthiness that, that has to come through yeah no absolutely and that that seems like the the work especially i've seen as we 
Well, I guess it can affect us at all levels, but that one doesn't seem to go away or get fixed by receiving a certain amount uh, from what I've seen. In fact, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Gay Hendricks book, The Upper or The Big Leap, which is all about upper limit problems. But those can, and that's that, that, you know, we don't feel worthy. We don't feel deserving. We feel like it's going to hurt someone or we're going to outshine people for whatever reason. We are uncomfortable going to that next level of abundance, love, creativity, and enjoyment of life. And what I find fascinating about that is that can be affecting us from kind of the bottom of our uh, potential just getting from, you know, maybe feeling totally unworthy to having a few friends or someone that wants to be with us. Uh, and that can also affect us at the highest level of like, you know, we're, we're already have a family or relationships and a career that's satisfying. And, you know, we're, have social connections and community leader and we're doing all these things, but there's another, you know, as you said, outgrowing or expanding beyond our identity, there's another level and it feels like the upper limit stuff, right? The deserving stuff is there. Like, okay, I can receive this much good stuff, but what about even more? And I feel like that bumps up against the, uh, the edge. And I find that such a delightful way of looking at it too. Uh, this is something my wife and I have gotten really into in the last maybe month or two. We both, um, she read it for the first time and I reread that book, uh, the, the big leap and just being curious again and again and again, like, okay, right now what's happening? Is this discomfort? Is this anxiety? Is this guilt? Whatever's coming up? Is this in some way trying to block or restrict the flow of, of how amazing life is? And just asking that question leads to fascinating answers because sometimes you're like, yeah, like, well, but yeah, so what is amazing? What is coming through? And it's like, wow, everything is beautiful right now. <laughs> and I'm trying to get some re con contraction around it to, to bring it back down to a level that's, that's familiar. Yeah, yeah, and it makes me think like that. That's a really interesting thing because it makes me think of like the holistic model and how that edge that you feel, the edge of discomfort is really just like your own self-protective like uh, self-preservation there's a party that says okay let's just you know cool it down a bit let's stay with our homeostasis so and even that actually is still just like not to be judged you know it is that even that even that edge of growth is still probably um an aspect of you that's just trying to like make, keep you safe or something like that so it is it is but it, it yeah it's beautiful that that you know i, I think one of my re recent i don't know where i picked this up but that my recent instagram post it was uh, this quote i might have been called young or somebody but it says it goes for every level there is another devil and it's, mm. it's is that what you're saying like that yeah you every time that you expand and you go beyond your edge you you there's a certain sense of spaciousness you feel expanded you feel like uh huh. but then after you kind of get to know that realm then you start to go to the next level and and there's always um you know some level of discomfort that goes with it but and i think that is probably an, an infinite process um and that so you kind of peel the, and it goes back to the whole mystic you know eastern thing about peeling the onion and really um uh, letting go of levels of deeper and deeper levels of resistance and and eventually, I think that's what Buddhahood is. It's like, you know, coming to a place where there is really no more resistance and you are just pure allowance, pure uh, joy, pure, like, you know, uh, worthiness of all that is. And you're just celebrating. You're, you're celebrated and you're celebrating the universe. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's where we want to go. But 
you know, it's it's kind of a journey. And none of us, you know, none of us have to get there, but we, we have lifetimes. Yeah, and that's the uh, that's the North Star. That's the direction <laughs> uh, right. to yeah. to keep uh, to keep coming back to. And I I love it, man. I, I am reminded as we talk how much I love talking with you. And one of the reasons is that um, that blend of so many different perspectives, and as well as a high level of ability to articulate and, and eloquence. And um, thank you so much for for sharing with me and with with everyone listening today. And uh, so you are based in the Bay Area, and I know we're gonna definitely have listeners that are that are there. And I'm curious if people wanted to find out more about you, or even look into working with you. Or I know you lead um, ecstatic dance uh, a couple times a month as well as as well as workshops and other things. What would be a, a great place for people to visit to find out more about you and what you're up to? Yeah. Great. And just want to say thank you for having me. I, I really do relish talking to you too. It's, I think there's a lot of resonance and, and uh, mutual uh, excitement. And um, But as far as me, yeah, so my main website is uh, www.spiralprocess.com. That's one word, spiralprocess.com. Um, that's my main website, um, and it has all my contact information. I'm based in downtown San Jose. Um, I have like a nice holistic kind of style office. We also have a movement studio. I do like different movement and somatic um, uh, workshops and client with clients and stuff like that, one on one. And then uh, I also teach and supervise at the Process Therapy Institute, which is also in San Jose. Um, and we do like a, a one way mirror. Uh, it's sort of like a gestalt experiential kind of Hakomi style training program for psychotherapy interns. And now we're actually starting to opening it up for non-licensure practitioners. So it could be somebody, anybody who's like maybe yoga instructors or people who are wanting to do like life coaching. And so we're opening it up and it's a cool training. And I'm one of the teachers and supervisors there. Um, and that website is called, uh, similar to mine, but it's www.processes.org. It's plural, um, and that's that's where you can, if you're looking for to to get training on this type of experiential um, um, healing modality. Mm. And, I love it. Uh, yeah, and then the, the ecstatic dance. Um, if you go on ecstaticdance.org, uh, we're we're listed on there in, as San Jose. That's where we're at. So. Yeah, great. We didn't even get into that today, or too much into psychedelics, or aliens. But that might have to be another conversation where people want to hear us go really down the rabbit hole. Then uh, I would love to have that conversation as well, because I think that, you know, uh, is is highly useful and interesting and fascinating as well. So maybe we'll have another one where we go. We just go all out. I, I am totally in. Let's do it. <laughs> awesome. Thanks again, Dimitri. Appreciate it. Okay, Aziz. All right. Take care. That brings us to the end of the interview, but not quite the end of the episode. Time for action. 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 We're going to keep your action step today broad. I love to do this with the interviews. I mean, there's so many ideas, so many insights, maybe something I said, maybe something he said, maybe something from our conversation that emerged where you're just like, ooh, I want to act on that, or ooh, I want to apply that, or I have an idea, or I have an insight or an action. So what did you hear What's an insight or a takeaway from the interview? And then even more importantly, what are you going to do? What action are you going to take today 
based upon what you heard in this interview. Otherwise, it becomes intellectual entertainment. It becomes like a, the sophisticated person's Netflix or something like that. And not to say we can't learn from certain shows on Netflix, but it just becomes uh, entertainment. And let's turn this into not just more information that's intriguing or interesting, but actual transformation in our lives. So how are you going to upgrade your identity? What action are you going to take? What little small thing are you going to start to apply in your life? That's the question I have for you. I'll leave it up to you because you are the captain of your ship. You will decide. You will take the action. And until we speak again, may have the courage to be who you are and to know on a deep level that you're awesome. Thanks for listening to Shrink for the Shy Guy with Dr. Aziz. If you know anyone who can benefit from what you've just heard, please let them know and send them a link to shrinkfortheshyguy.com. For free blogs, ebooks, and training videos related to overcoming shyness and increasing confidence, go to socialconfidencecenter.com.